and welcome to Pathways to Success, Functional Pathways podcast on all things expertise in our healthcare industry. I'm Karen Welsh. I'm the VP of Clinical and Reimbursement Excellence with Functional Pathways. And today, joined by Brittany Austin, our National Director of Health and Wellness, and our very, very special guest, Colin Milner, who is the founder and CEO of the International Council on Active Aging. So, Colin, welcome today. Looking forward to hearing all about um, ICAA and your background with that. So, with that, you want to give us a little insight into what got you interested in ICAA and um, all things around your organization? Well, this, believe it or not, is my 40th year in the industry. And so I'm thrilled to be speaking with you, uh, Karen and Brittany, as I celebrate that today with you all together. It's so exciting. Um, you know, but I actually first got into the business because I was going to be a professional soccer player and uh, got as far as semi-pro. Uh, but I went to my homeland, uh, initially Jamaica, and uh, came back uh, with a few additional pounds that I had to get rid of and uh, went into a health club. And that was how my journey first started. The owner said, hey, I like the way you train. You should be a $3.50 an hour instructor here. And I went, man, that's a load of cash, so sure. I'll, t I'll take that job. And, uh, and so my journey started, but really uh, my focus on the older population uh, came to fruition when I was with Kaiser Health and uh, Fitness Equipment. And a lot of the initial research that was being done in the early nineties was being done on their equipment uh, around uh, fitness and aging specifically. And to, you know, I, I started to see the great potential that we all have, the challenge is we need to embrace it. We need to earn it. We need to earn our health span. And uh, a lot of the organizations that were working with older adults weren't providing those kind of opportunities. So 22 years ago, I launched the International Council on Active Aging two weeks after 9-11 uh, to try and address that gap. And our focus was very simple to help change the way we age. And it's our contention that if you can live better longer, you will automatically change the way you age and also the way society perceives you. So that's, was, that was how we started our journey. 22 years later, we're in 57 countries. We have 10,000 members and those members are about 95% senior living. So whether it is uh, long-term care assisted living, uh, CCRC or life plan communities, active adult, we have them all. And uh, our goal is to provide the education, the information, the resources and the tools to help our members be more successful in what they deliver to the older population. Have you seen a difference pre-pandemic, during pandemic, and post-pandemic as far as not just wellness programming, but engagement in active aging and the wellness programs around that? Oh, huge. There's been a huge shift. Um, you know, it, there, there, there had been a 20-year buildup or a 30-year buildup, 
that was uh, about to burst before the pandemic in regards to wellness, engagement, active aging, uh, you know, fitness, all the things that we talk about each and every day. And then the pandemic shut everything down. And then what ended up happening was that things began to morph because people realized that you know, being isolated is actually what happens when you go to jail. So, and the outcome, it can be very similar. So uh, we started to see people doing uh, programs outdoors or in the hallways and so forth. And then all of a sudden it was like the dam burst and organizations realized that, you, you know, we need to actually do something to keep our residents healthy longer trying to build their immune system and all of this. And since then, it has been like somebody let the bull out of the um, out of the stable and wellness has just been off the charts. I mean, off the charts. So much so that 61% of communities that we survey believe in the next uh, couple of years that they will move from a care-based community with wellness to a wellness-based community with care. That's an interesting flip. And I hadn't thought about it that way. We certainly know that the industry is changing and that, you know, aging in place is the push of a lot of our healthcare industries. CMS is certainly pushing it. Um, the managed care corporations are pushing it. So thinking about it in that perspective is, yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way. So when you talk about active aging, what does that really mean? What what do, what all does that encompass from your perspective? Three words, being engaged in life. That's really what it's about. You know, you and I and Brittany right now are active. We are actively engaging in conversation and thought. Uh, so it is about being uh, actively involved in all areas of life in the way that you would like to be involved in those areas. Uh, and that's really what it is. Uh, you know, a lot of times we try and make it a lot more complicated, but it's not. And, and then when you look at your residents, your staff, people outside of your community, the question is, how do you engage them? And in what? And I think we see that a lot. Those conversations happen a lot in the ALIO. And Brittany and I have presented numerous times around entertain versus engage. Um, really focused on ALIL from a wellness perspective. What are your thoughts on that engagement when we talk about our residents in the SNF or the nursing facilities? Because active aging should be able to happen there as well, but we haven't necessarily thought about that in that venue. Oh, I think it's as important, if not more important, uh, you know, especially given sometimes the mindset of individuals in, in um, long-term care, uh, hope, is what is needed, uh, but also engagement. If you are engaged, you have purpose. If you have purpose, you have hope. So uh, I think in the long-term settings, people like Amacare, uh, their 109 communities now are beginning to focus on, uh, you know, wellness within their long-term care settings. Uh, we're seeing a lot more of that. And part of the reason is why should someone in any setting not have hope it's really as simple as that you know helping someone to 
hope for a better tomorrow, no matter their circumstance. Uh, and that may be different than what somebody who's fully functional uh, is able to do, but that small change could make a big difference to how they see the world. I, so how is, nope, go ahead. Sorry, Karen. I was just gonna say, I think that that's a really great insight and certainly speaks to what Karen and I have been talking about at, at conferences and things. And when you mentioned at the beginning that there are long-term care communities that are members of the ICAA, I instantly lit up. I think that's that's amazing. And I, I honestly wasn't even aware of that. So I, I love that piece of it. Um, I'm gonna switch gears for just a, a second. And, you know, technology is so big right now. I mean, there are glitches in technology, but it's also a really great way to move wellness forward. What are some of the things that you've seen to be the most beneficial in terms of technology when it comes to providing wellness and engaging residents and communities? Well, I think uh, the first thing is inspiration. What, what inspires you? And everybody is inspired by different things. But uh, as an example, a simple wearable, uh, an, an Apple watch mm -hmm. can make a huge difference. It inspires you to, you know, count your steps, to log in your food, to, you know, if you want to. Not everybody wants to know how many steps they've done, or no, not everybody wants to be reminded that you haven't stood for the last, uh, you know, three hours. <laughs> but there's also a segment of the population who loves that. So find a technology that inspires you to be engaged, uh, whether it's an Apple Watch, whether it is a virtual reality, whether it is playing with some of the uh, tools out there now that can help you uh, monitor, monitor your emotional health, uh, whether, it, you know, at, at the end of the day, there there is technology for any and everything that you want to do. The question is, do you want to use it? From a, a community's perspective, the big thing is outcomes. How do I actually ensure that what I'm investing in has a return on investment? And it's very simple. All you have to do is look at your outcomes um, or look at what you have and look at the trend lines in the industry to make changes. I'll give you a very quick example of that. You know, ICAA offers a wellness audit tool. And we've had hundreds of communities now audit their um, their properties. And it's interesting because we have one simple question in the tool, and that is, is the definition of wellness that is used the organizations, your departments, or your personal definition? And we have one group that has 100 plus communities and about 60%, it was the personal definition of the staff member. So when you are looking at how effective you're going to be in delivering wellness across your communities, as an example, you want to make sure that everybody's on the same page. So a simple innocuous question like that can bring great insight in regards to, uh oh, we have a communication challenge and we need to work on that because we're promising that we're delivering X, but maybe we're not because the staff is using their own version of what they think we should be delivering. So I think outcomes and engagement is front and center with everything now. When you talk about outcomes, Colin, can you give an example of, of what we certainly have some from a functional pathways perspective that we look at, whether it's 
Um, we have a version of the senior fit test that we've added a few things to uh, around frailty, around a cognitive component as well, because we know cognition is key to everything that we do um, and success and those kind of things. But what would you say are, you know, the top three or four success markers that you're looking for outcomes? Well, I think it depends on who you're speaking to. You know, if you're speaking to a therapist or you're speaking to uh, a wellness director, their their outcomes are on improvement in the functional capabilities of the person that they're working with. Uh, if you are speaking to a CEO or a CFO, their outcomes are, have you extended the length of stay? Uh, are more people being attracted to the community because we've invested in wellness? Are people actually having a greater quality of life, which by the way, they are. Uh, our benchmarks that we did for three years, 5,000 people, 100 communities, show that individuals that are engaged in wellness actually stay in the community 2.7 years longer. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, 47% of people that were attracted to the community said they were attracted because of wellness. And they had 21% higher quality of life compared to the CDC's self-perceived uh, ratings. That's a huge story to share with your uh, potential funny. residents. But are we? I think another, yeah, and I think another measure too is how many residents in your campus or on in your community are actually participating in the wellness program. Oh, very much so, very much. And then the question is, what is participation? You know, is participation, uh, you know, one time a month? Is, particip is participation three times a week? You know, if you look at the CDC's number, it's only a few times a year. So uh, it's, it's interesting if you look at, and, and we have the same challenge, when you define what is a wellness participant. Yeah, that's a really great point. I had not thought of in that, and I can't believe it's only a few times a year for the CDC. That yep. just seems insane. <laughs> well, and I think that would tie into what you said, Colin, about defining wellness, because yep. if everyone's definition, including the resident at the senior living community, has a different definition of what wellness is, then participation is going to means something totally different for them it could mean going out and walking twice a day and making sure they get their walk in or pickleball or you know whatever it might be that is not captured on a standardized wellness program you know we certainly focus on making sure they're attending the classes that the classes are appropriate for the residents that are in the community i think that's another big um, point of conversation is, are you just delivering a wellness program to deliver it? Or are you truly customizing it and having it be resident-centered, which I think is challenging for some communities? Do you have any any tips of the trade around that resident-centered uh, conversation for wellness? Yeah, it, you know, the buzzword is, uh, is, as we all know, is, okay, resident-centered, person-centered, person-centric, whatever it may be it's all about the person in front of you but is it is, <laughs> is the is the focus really on delivering what the community wants or what the resident wants and it all starts with just simply asking uh to me the greatest skill that 
you could give any of your staff is the ability to actually ask questions and then listen. And then uh, how many of our staff are actually given um, uh, training as a public speaker, as an example, so that they can be more eloquent uh, and deliver things better to the residents, whether it's through storytelling or what have you. But I would, I would put a challenge out there where I believe that probably most people talk about engagement, but if you were to sit down with the communities and say, what is your engagement strategy? What is your definition of engagement? What training does your engagement staff have? I would bet most of them would probably not know how to answer most of those. So I want to switch gears a little bit from what we were just talking about with engagement and talk about persons living with dementia and in those senior living communities. You know, we're fairly accustomed to it when we talk about the SNFs in the nursing facilities. Ale and Isla is a little bit different take on that. Sometimes it's the caregiver. Um, it's the wife that's taking care of the husband and it's the wife that's going to the um, to the wellness activities while the husband's at home, not able to participate. What are your thoughts on making sure those residents are engaged as well and resources that you would recommend around addressing persons living with dementia because they deserve to have active aging as well and quality of life? Very much so. And, you know, uh, uh, an ex of mine that we were uh, together, her father lived for 10 years in a community. Uh, he had Alzheimer's, it was very advanced. Uh, but the problem was that he was really healthy, but his mind was absolutely uh, gone. Uh, he got to a stage where he would, you know, smear feces all over the wall and stuff like that. It, it wasn't very good, but because he was really fit and healthy, he was, he was good to go. Um, so, I think everybody deserves to be as healthy as possible and that we should uh, be able to provide services for that. Uh, I think in many instances that may end up being in some form group or personal, of course, depending on the individual. Like everything, you're going to need to sit down and find out where the individual is and where is an individual like that. As an example, uh, what can you do to uh, to work with them? Uh, you know, my grandmother at 111 years of age uh, has uh, you know dementia now. However, she gets lots of exercise because she's in a wheelchair. You turn around and she's gone. Uh, <laughs> she wheels all around the community all day long, and she actually. Uh, has a better heart rate than most of the people in the community because of that. Uh, so I think it doesn't matter what setting you're in, you just need to find where that person is and what they connect with. Is it music? Is it movement? Is it what is it that they connect with? And then engage them in that. Don't just try and engage them in what you want to engage them in because that's going to be an uphill battle. Yeah. Absolutely. I, 
love hearing you say that. And I also think to tie back to what we were talking about with engagement training, I think there's definitely a need for memory care or cognitive decline training for wellness activities, therapy, anybody working with residents, because I think we all, without even realizing it, have a assumption of what somebody in a memory care community can or can't do, how we need to speak to them. So we're, Karen and I, a huge component or a huge supporters of being able to provide that training to employees to make sure that we really are able to engage them and not just assume that they can't do something because of their cognitive state. And, you know, you have a group of people in there and everybody maybe is at a different stage. Right. So trying to do one size, one size fits all is a very difficult thing to be successful at. Now, you have uh, dementia friendly businesses, you have de dementia friendly cities, and now they are looking to create dementia friendly countries. So I think there is a greater focus on meeting individuals where they are. You know, grocery stores, as an example, are turning off the escalator uh, and the noise uh, all around you and their staff are beginning to uh, take more time to speak with individuals as they're checking out because they know they may repeat the question, uh, you know, five, six times. Uh, so the training component of this is crucial as well for everybody working in the community. Well, I think that leads into conversation around staging. You were talking about that and making sure that we're not doing that cookie cutter approach or one size fits all. And, you know, we encourage all the time, for certainly from a therapy perspective, staging is not an option. We must stage our residents with dementia to know where they are and be able to provide the most appropriate education and techniques and strategies and those kind of things. How would you recommend, I mean, hearing about the grocery stores and the cities and those kind of things, how would you recommend communities that aren't staging get started in that and really hit home the importance around that? I think one is uh, knowledge. You know, it all starts with uh, gaining the knowledge you need to actually do that. Uh, and you would hope everybody had that knowledge, but over the years I have realized that not all of us are equal. Figuring uh, out where you are along that continuum. Are you, uh, you know, in the contemplation stage? And if you're, if you are, what are you actually contemplating? What kind of environment is out there? Do uh, village in that everybody has talked about for years that is in uh, the Netherlands. There's a new dementia village up where I live in um, Langley, British Columbia. There's a, you know, there's a few others that have opened up. There are others that have best practices. So learn what are the best practices, what are the great things out there, uh, and then start putting together your game plan to move you from that contemplation stage to action. If you're in the action stage, action, to uh, maintenance, but whatever you want to do, I would learn what the best practices are instead of just going out and saying, let's do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, our, we're certainly a proponent. We, in our, we have a pathways to engagement dementia management program um, that's mostly based on Tifa Snow's gems because we feel like hers is the most 
um, palatable for caregivers. It's in the most layperson's terms, uh, you know, other than the Allen cognitive scale or the global deterioration scale, certainly gives a lot more definition around those stages and gives a lot of strategies. And I know there are multiple different um, staging out there that that other people can use, but that's certainly what we recommend um, because that's what we use typically from from our perspective. So I think the issue is just getting started. Don't just contemplate, do it. Um, decide on a path and and take the path, right? It, it is. And I think at the end of the day, it's about knowing your resident, no matter what their functional level is, physically, cognitively, socially, what have you, knowing what inspires them, what they aspire to. Uh, if you don't know that, how can you meet their needs and aspirations? Yep, 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 exactly. And in the same vein of dementia, we've been talking a lot because CMS has, has moved the initiative and pushed the initiative around social determinants of health. Thankfully, um, we know that that's an important marker for success or non-success, um, especially from a therapy perspective or even just access to healthcare. So how, how do you address that social determinants of health from an ICAA perspective? You know, if you have residents and, and people living in the senior living communities that have to decide between a meal and a medication, what does that look like? And then how do you how do you layer that on top of that aging, actively aging thought process? Yeah, you know, the unfortunate part is that uh, you would hope that you don't have a situation where somebody has to choose between meal and medication. Um, uh, and really, that, that's not my area of expertise once you get into that. But what I can say in regards to the social determinants of health is that uh, if you really kind of look at them, they all fall under uh, the wellness model as well, or the wellness model falls under it. You know, there's all these different models. There's a blue zone model, there's the determinants of health, there's wellness, there's the well-being. There's all these different things because everybody wants to be creative and create their own. But at the end of the day, it is looking at the person and looking at the whole person and figuring out what brings them joy, what what they need to do to remain functional uh, and at the highest level possible if if they can but uh, not everybody can uh, how do you keep them uh, you know uh, engaged and inspired and uh, purposeful uh, you know that may be around spirituality that may be around learning new skills uh, that may be around being engaged in in the environment and uh, you know all of those things that uh, I just mentioned all fall right underneath the wellness model so I think when you're looking at all of these models for the most part they're all the same they're just simply shifting the language to uh, be marketable. Right, right, same basic concept. So exactly. one last question, Colin, um, around for our listeners, uh, around if you don't have a wellness, or if, even if you do have a wellness, what would be the three main things that you would say they need to incorporate in order to have a successful wellness or active aging program? 
Well, I think number one, of course, is that you want to be able to have a physical activity in some way, shape or form, because if your residents lose their strength, we lose 50% of our strength between the age of 35 and 70 and 70% 70 of our power, which is one of the reasons we have uh, such an issue with falls our reaction time and our strength so uh, number one of course physical because if you can't get up out of a chair you have a problem uh, it, the next of course would be social engagement uh, you know that that is as important sometimes if not more important uh, you know between interconnections and interdependence uh, I think the creating a robust social uh, community it will hold you in good stead. And then I think the, the third part of that is emotional health. Um, you know, depression before the pandemic was supposed to become the second leading cause of death by 2023. Uh, I would probably say it maybe got a little bit pumped up uh, with, with COVID. So helping people to manage their emotional health, which would include things like getting outdoors, spirituality, and the, you know, the other dimensions of wellness kind of fall underneath that, uh, you know, physical activity for your uh, emotional health as well. So I would say if you do nothing else, just incorporate those three elements uh, and look at how to incorporate those indoors, outdoors, and online and offline. Great. Well, all great tips. And Colin, greatly appreciate your uh, participation today and willingness to be on our Pathways to Success podcast. Uh, grateful for your knowledge and insight. For our listeners, go out to the ICAA website, the International Council on Active Aging. Uh, take a look at, at Colin's history. He's got uh, books out there and he speaks all over the place. Just a great, great resource for um, our senior population around active aging. So, Colin, thanks so much for your time today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much. Anytime. And, uh, you know, I look forward to meeting you in person, Karen and Brittany, seeing you soon. Yes, sir. Excellent. Thank you again. We appreciate Thank you. It. Okay. My pleasure. Thank you.